Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. Hi, I'm Rob Minot, and I'm joined today by Ryan Fleury. Howdy. And Steve Barkley. Hey. 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 We got a full house today. And we're excited today because we are talking to Dave Symington from the Vancouver Adapted Music Society, which is a very cool, very cool society here uh, in the Lower Mainland. Actually, <clears throat> actually ridiculously cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those videos uh, are amazing. Yeah. Those Music Saves videos, which I want to ask him about. Uh, super cool. Trump's president now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did you... Uh, Signing more executive orders. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to try and do some research. How many executive orders did Obama sign in the first four years compared to Trump's record so far? Well, the, somebody uh, just tweeted out uh, one of Trump's tweets from last year. It's like, why is Obama signing so many executive orders? <laughs> was that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are it's in for funny. a ride. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. it's it, it, Literally, it's just like every day this week has just been, mm-hmm. okay, well, what is it going to be today? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure today is going to be no different. Probably. Nuts. And this resist like, that's crazy. And you've heard about, like, NASA and the, I guess it's the, the parks. I heard you mention something about it yesterday, but I haven't heard anything right? about it. Right, have you heard about this, Steve? Like, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. Like, you actually have, you actually have a building resistance movement in the country. Like, it's nuts. Yep. Man. All right. Anyways, okay. <coughs> and that's Trump talk. Yeah, we should not have a separate podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> From now until the end of the world, Trump yeah. talk. <laughs> Wait, the world's Brought ending in four years? Right. <laughs> Brought to you by... I, I don't have that kind of optimism, man. It's going to be less than that. Trump talk brought to you by Cheetos. Right. <laughs> well, he's got the nuclear codes now, right? So And Spanx. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are happy to have with us today Mr. Dave Symington, who is the co-founder of the Vancouver Adapted Music Society. Uh, he is uh, also a disability advocate and a musician who has played a variety of festivals and events throughout the Lower Mainland over the years. Uh, Dave, hey, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. So uh, the, the uh, billing there says that you're co-founder. Who did you uh, found it with? Well, that would be Mr. Sam Sullivan, who most people probably know, former mayor and currently an MLA in the Liberal Party and runs the Global Civic Society and a number of different uh, head of the Disability Foundation, actually, the Sam Sullivan Disability Foundation. And and a headmouse user. Yeah. See, indeed. I, I did not know that. I should. Yeah, sold, sold him a couple of headmouse over the years. Oh, well, oh, head mics? Head, head mouse. Headmouse. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I think I think he's got a headmouse. I'm pretty sure that's what he uses. I I don't know if I've ever seen him use his computers. Usually we're just having dinner and drinking wine. So <laughs> oh, <there> you <laughs> don't normally need a headmouse for you, that. I guess. You've, you've clearly got a better relationship with him than I do. Yeah. Well, well, we have to drink to get through it. I think. That's <laughs> uh, well, you know, let's take a step back and can you just tell us a little bit about the, uh, the about VAMS? Yeah, well, maybe just briefly, uh, I met Sam in around 1985. I had just moved back here from Ontario, and uh, we kind of met by chance. He was a student at SFU, and I was working on the North Shore at the time. And um, He was promoting an accessible, uh, an adapted, uh, like, tour bus, like, coach. And they had this wheelchair section behind the rear rear wheels where the luggage section usually is. And so we went on a ride on this bus. That's basically how we met and uh, hit it off right away. We'd both been 
musicians prior to our, our injuries, Sam more seriously than me. I sort of played piano as a kid and took up drums at about age 11 and played in a few, you know, basement garage band type things and played a few shows. And, uh, yeah, so we kind of talked about how we might be able to get back into music. There seemed to be a lot of barriers given that we're both quadriplegics and don't have full use of our arms or our fingers or anything. I tried piano and couldn't figure out a way to play that other than kind of single notes, which wasn't very satisfying. And basically one thing led to another and we thought, well, really, uh, neither of us had any money at the time. We thought we should really start a society and raise money more or less to help ourselves, but eventually help others and develop a program. So that's basically how the Vancouver Adapted Music Society started. And I worked with an occupational therapist to develop a pair of gloves that I could actually would hold the sticks for me. And they were attached to the gloves, not to my hands. So I could, you know, it took a while to get the right sort of position and the feel and everything. And, and at that time, the uh, like digital instruments were really becoming more popular. So I had an option of using uh, electric drums and programming them in a way that, so every pad that I had, I basically just programmed to sound like a an acoustic set of drums. Right. And then it's just a, a matter of figuring out how many triggers you need and, and what each trigger, what, what, it, what sound each trigger is going to use, like a bass drum, a snare, or a cymbal, whatever, and then work out your patterns. And uh, there was a big learning curve, and uh, but that was kind of the genesis. And Sam, we started a band, you know, called Spinal Chord, spelled C-H-O-R-D, and that was kind of the promotional and touring band for the Vancouver Adaptive Music Society. And brought in other players and worked with other groups and adapted all sorts of input devices for people with higher level injuries, if you like, that couldn't move their arms at all and maybe needed to use a sip and puff switch or something like that to trigger sounds or sequences of sound. So, uh, And at that point, we worked out of the, Pe the George Pearson Center, which is a long-term care facility. Um uh, and we had a big practice space in there and where we could jam and rehearse and write and all of that. So that was back uh, officially. We had our 25th official anniversary about three years ago. But really, we've been going for about 30 years. Wow. Yeah. We, we actually had a reunion with the, the Spinal Cord Band uh, for the 25th anniversary, which oh. was... <laughs> A hell of a lot of fun because we had not played together for probably 12 or 15 years. I don't know. And, uh, and everybody was available and we just, we were just like kids in the studio. It was, and Sam, I gotta say, he gave it 110%. He was, you know, we do some pretty crazy songs in that band and his vocal, uh, would require some really high pitched long held notes and screaming and, and he, yeah, I mean, you know, considering his status as a politician and everything, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> well, it probably helped with the screaming. Yeah. <laughs> it's cathartic, right? So. That's right. It's not a job I'd take on. So, yeah. how, <laughs> no. so how long did it take to, to write and, and record the album? Well, you know, basically a lot of those songs came out, came out of jamming. Uh, and we come up with certain grooves and feels that we like. And I would bring in lyrics and Sam would bring in lyrics. He had a song called Lady in White that he had written basically when he was in rehabilitation. And Lady in White basically referring to the nursing staff and the care. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a love song, but it's basically about that. Right. So we just kind of worked together on some songs we co-wrote, others we I mean, musically, we pretty much co-wrote everything. It, it probably took, by the time we had the songs uh, and had the CD recorded, it was probably about two years, I would think. The actual recording process didn't take that long, except 
that recording digital drums, for instance, there's a a very slight delay because you're you're hitting a pad and then it goes through the system and and triggers and it's you know just a fraction of a second, but it's noticeable in recording. Mm. So sometimes you have to spend a lot of time moving notes exactly to the right, you know, the start of the bar or the start of that beat. And so it was really the editing process. And I mean, I've recorded other people in a lot of projects since, and that's, that is what takes the time. It's the editing and mixing. Sounds a bit cheesy today, but when I, you know, I, I listen to the old stuff, which is pretty rare, watch one of the old videos. And, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. I think Sam and I feel the same way that it's, you know, kind of a tear comes to your eye in a sense because uh, we never would have thought it would still be going and be stronger than ever at this point. Now, what kind of what kind of reception did it get at the time? Well, I think we, we you know, Sam and I sometimes would play gigs just the two of us, me on drums and his with the keyboards and vocals. And you know, I think one that we often refer to is we were playing at the Brentwood Mall. <laughs> and, you know, just like it wasn't really a stage or anything. We were just kind of in the mall in front of a shoe store, I think I recall. <laughs> and people would just kind of be window shopping and we were just, you know, kind of another display, which I think people didn't quite know what to do with us, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think as it became more normalized, if you like, and we were seen more often, and we ended up doing a a thing with Terry David Mulligan on uh, what was that show called? Much Music West, I think it was. Right. Uh, and some live concerts. We actually did a live show at Jericho Beach with him. Uh, I think we just did one or two songs, but yeah, I think it it um, when you think, I mean, there's a lot of famous musicians that have disabilities. But I think the there weren't a lot out there with quadriplegia, none that we could think of. I mean, there has been since somebody like Teddy Pendergrass that was injured, you know, late in his career, but he went back to uh, to performing. But anyway, we played the, a Rick Hansen conference. I think that was last year, and it's an international conference, so people would come up and say, you know, I've got a a son with quadriplegia and he's a really good singer and he plays in this band in Minnesota. And, you know, so you hear about other, other people that are out there doing things or are interested in how you're doing it because they want to, or they see our studio and they want to see if they can do something in, in their city or in their rehab center. So we do that kind of, I guess, a form of consultation and try to make connections in, in a more global sense that way. So how many so, pe how many people are involved in VAMS now? Well, uh, I mean, in terms of people that volunteer and are and are on staff or on contract, uh, probably in terms of the the studio itself, about we're just in another recruiting phase right now. I think we've got about four or five volunteers, uh, two really three staff people, two that are really mainly in the studio, like Sheila Lee, who basically manages the studio and does the intake and the training for volunteers. And um, she also runs, we have a choir. So she works with the choir and uh, they do shows. And Graham Wyman, who came from the Neil Squire Society, actually. And um, he is trained at uh, Berkeley School of Music in Boston. So he's got a lot of engineering background. So he, he spends a lot of time in the studio. And, and we have Joey Turco, who's our tech guy. He's kind of, you know, once a week or so goes in, makes sure everything's running properly. And, you know, if there's any technical issues that need to be addressed and sets up new equipment, and just make sure that, you know, when we go in that everything's going to work. And are, are there any special adaptions made in the studio to accommodate people with various disabilities? So in the studio itself, we have um, things like, you know, a motorized computer desk so people can adjust it to whatever height they need. We have keyboards that do the same thing. You can, through electric motors, raise them up and down, move them back and forth. So 
if you've got limited hand function, you can more easily get it to where you need it. Same with our, our microphone. It's, it's actually attached to a, to the wall, and there's a switch that will move it up and down, and, and you can sort of move it anywhere in the room you need it. Uh, it used to be on the floor, which in our current studio we have pretty limited space. So um, that took up a, you know, about a quarter of the space, so we had to uh, figure that out. Now we have adapted drums with the kind of drumstick holders that I use. We have a few devices like a, it's called a jam box. It basically runs through the computer, but it has access to any sound you like really. And it kind of works like a harmonica, except it's our electronic. Right. And you, you have a, a mouthpiece that each individual has their own, of course. And then you can, uh, and it, kind of hard to describe you know without seeing it but it it kind of rotates up and down if you want to have certain types of reverb or effects on it and then if you move the mouthpiece back and forth it goes up and down the scale and you breathe in and out depending on what kind of note or how long you want to sustain it right and you can set it to different keys and scales and all so you can basically jam along to a pre-recorded piece of music and it's pretty cool we're hoping to integrate it into our an upcoming show pretty soon yeah, the, that jam box is that a is that an adapted item or is it something that was designed specifically for the purpose well, that was, yeah we didn't make it or or design it it was another company and they but they did design it for that purpose and you know you could check it out online if you just go to like YouTube jam box, something like that. You'll see it in use. It's, it's pretty cool. And there's some people that are very, uh, very highly skilled at using it. Oh, that's cool. I've, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, no, I'd say, and I was actually trying a new device last night, which I have, it's called the Artifone. Just kind of looks like a, a guitar, but it's smaller and it can kind of lay on your lap and there's, there's buttons and there's actually a fretboard and you can choose different, I think, well, I don't know if you can only, at this point, I just had it for a couple hours last night, but I believe you can hook it up to a computer and access other sounds, like either in GarageBand or Logic or whatever other software you use. But it's uh, it's got some potential. I just personally found the buttons a little hard to push. And, uh, but yeah, maybe it may be of use to some of our, uh, clients i mean we have a number i couldn't tell you the exact number of clients we have right now but on a yearly basis there's hundreds and and the number of i guess in our stable of performers i have to think about it i think we have about 10 more or less 10 active musical groups so there's quite a lot of performances happening too and some of those are more private events like conferences and uh, anniversary parties and that kind of thing. Right. So when, when somebody comes in, um, is there any sort of formal structure as to how they get introduced to stuff? Or is it just sort of a free form, you know, do, do what you want kind of setup? No, it, I mean, usually Tuesday afternoons, there's a window for drop-ins, like 3.30 to 5.30. And so Graham is, is there for that. And so if somebody comes in and they're just, I mean, people come in at other times too. And if you're not busy, then you can have a conversation. But generally, it's, it's meant to be a drop-in so you can actually take time and talk, find out what people want to do. Uh, eventually, they would meet Sheila. And Sheila does more or less more formal intake and figures out which volunteer is best suited to work with that client, depending on if they want to learn an instrument, if they want to learn software, if they want to record, they want to perform, if they just are brand new. Like some people have never done any music and they're just curious. And they see us in there. Sometimes the doors open when we're rehearsing, at least in the evenings, because it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of offices around us, so we can't make too much noise during the day. But we get occasional knocks on the door, you know. Turn it down. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's actually we're 
we share a wall with a research office. So uh, <laughs> for the people that are doing house music, you know, it's, it's a little loud, but, um, yeah, so it basically works like that. I mean, I've, um, you know, I, there's a, a young woman that was, I mean, I think it's only been about six or eight months since she was injured that I saw up there and she had a background in music and she had a song that she wanted to record with her husband. And, uh, you know, for somebody that's that new to injury, I was pretty moved and amazed that she was ready to take that on. And we recorded this song and it was really awesome. And then she, uh, I asked her if she'd consider playing at, at our big strong session show, which was back in September. And, there was some reluctance, but in the end, she she came and played with a, another band that I'm in, and it, it just worked beautifully. So not everybody wants to perform or really become an expert. They just they might just want to know what kind of system would work, because of course not everybody's from the Lower Mainland, and we don't have studios all over the province. So they might want to know, well, how can I set something up at home that I can use, like this, or what instrument could I? could I consider having at home that I could play with and maybe play in a band? And, you know, sometimes it's just using software, writing music. Like we use logic software, but uh, there's all sorts of other types that you could use as well, or just use garage band. I've been, I've been working with a few people on garage band actually like on the, uh, the app. Right. I don't know if you've, you've used that at all, but. It's it's got these things called smart instruments, and it's it's really a lot of fun to use, and it's super easy just to to put together like a scratch track right away and do a folk. Like if you have an idea, you can just you have it right with you, and and you can download it into Logic or some other software if you want to do that at a at a future date. So there's a lot of you know just a lot of people doing different things. So it's so basically anybody with a disability can just come in and and just play around. They don't need to have any sort of uh, past musical proficiency or anything. No, they don't have to have any past experience for sure. Uh, if they have too much experience, we may not be able to help them too much. But now, I mean, we uh, not any disability. I, I guess this is a bit of a sticking point that. Um, Basically, we, we serve people with disabilities that would normally be a client of the GF Strong Rehab Center. Okay. So that's kind of our limitation. And now you could have multiple diagnoses as long as one of them is, you know, a spinal cord, uh, amputation, or a neurological disorder of some kind. Um, it just gets into a numbers issue that... Um, you know, we don't specifically serve, uh, people that have mental health issues, right? Don't, uh, or, you know, what are generally called developmental disabilities. Uh, although we do, we do, we just don't sort of focus on that group. It's just that you're welcome to come and you're welcome to get involved and, but to be a regular ongoing client right now we're looking at that actually because um we just want to make sure that we're able to serve the population effectively and if the depending on the severity of the disability we just have to make sure our volunteers are trained and skilled at, at understanding and working effectively with those people and what are some of the programs that that vams offers well, they're basically, I mean, the studio is kind of the core of VAMS right now. And, the, and of course, we have a project underway right now to build a new studio, which we already have the space for. It's just raising money to build it. But we've got a lot of people behind us supporting us and people like Nimbus Studios are 100% behind us and helping us out with design and equipment. And we've got grants from the city of Vancouver where, you know, it's moving forward, but and we're going to have about four times the space that we currently have. Wow. So we'll be able to expand our programs, too, because one, there's certain things that we don't currently have, like equipment-wise. If you wanted to get into, you know, DJing or 
uh, you know, turntabling or anything like that. We don't have those kind of stations, but we do want to be able to provide, you know, and meet everybody's needs as best we can. Right. So with such limited space, I think I would say the studio is, is in terms of a program, the main thing, but of course, what, there's so many things that evolve from the studio in terms of the performances. So strong sessions is, is our brand. Basically we, we recorded an album a few years ago with that name, <clears throat> which was a collaboration between VAMS artists and other well-known artists like Jim Burns and the odds and Jen and Jenny and just a whole slew of great people. And, uh, it just sort of stuck. And so we started doing these these annual concerts called the Strong Sessions, which is also damned musicians playing with uh, other well-known artists, you know, depending on how well they match up and stylistically and everything and who's available. So ongoing performances. We've, I mean, we've got a show on Sunday, actually, at the Backstage Lounge, another one on February 4th. They're all promoted on Facebook and on the VAMS webpage. So that's certainly an ongoing, and we certainly view it as important to to get people out there playing and to be visible. Right. And but not, you know, to make it just because of the disability. It's really all about the music and the enjoyment of that. And I think just to be engaged in something that you really enjoy and love and, and uh I mean, that's definitely something I look forward to all the time. It's it's uh, it's not work, you know what I mean. Sometimes, like you know, when I know I was working, I didn't always wasn't too motivated to get up at six in the morning to go to work every day. But even though I liked the work, but to get together with some people and jam or rehearse, create, have fun, yeah, I think most people are in it for that. We're not in it for the money, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's darn few musicians who are these days. No. no. You're lucky if you get 50 bucks for a gig, really. Yeah. So um, you, you mentioned uh, a couple of names there. You want to you, you wanna drop some, do some name dropping here for who, who all you've worked with? Because I was, I, I was on, uh, online looking at your uh, promotional video, and uh, I have to say my jaw kind of dropped when I saw some of the people that you've been playing with. Me personally, or just Vams? I mean, well, Vams in general, I guess. Yeah, I know we we have had such incredible support. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I think when we did the strong sessions, that that was the recording project which we did at the warehouse, which is Brian Adams' studio. It it was just an amazing project, and to see the professionalism and the dedication of people and the enthusiasm of all these people to come together for two days and, and do all of the tracks, basically. We did some vocals at another studio, a couple of other studios, but the bulk of everything was done in two days. And uh, it was a machine, and it was, it was and people that, uh, yeah, I'm always hesitant. I, you know, I don't know. Do I remember everybody? You know, I think, I think of the odds, you know, Craig Northey was kind of the co we. You know, he was the musical director. We kind of co-produced that project. And I basically worked with all the BAMS musicians, and he worked with with everything else, as well as the engineer. You know, we made joint decisions about certain things that were going to be done. But, I mean, that project alone, um, I'm trying to think who we – well, we played with Barney Bentall. We played with uh, – well, now other names are coming to mind. So I'm thinking not just that project, but other shows. I mean, we've been able to open for Spirit of the West and Jim Burns. And, um, of course, just the people. I, I play with Rolf Kemp. I play with Jim Meyer. I play with Jeff Stanfield. I play with uh, Danny Sloan, Sylvia McCormack. Yeah, I don't know. Did you, like, what faces popped up at you that you, you were surprised by? Do you remember? I mean, Chen and Jetty. Um uh, uh, yeah, the the odds uh, that that surprised me. I, I I always forget that those guys are a Vancouver band. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, yeah. And Craig's got his own studio up in North Van. We did we did some other uh, we did some editing up there. Actually, he's got his converted garage that he's 
made into a pretty awesome studio. Yeah. Um, now, but, you, you might know, you might know this. The, the Odds, didn't they go by a different band name before they were The Odds? Like, weren't they the house band at the Roxy for a while? were, and down if I can remember their name right now, actually. Was it the, the Dawn Patrol? I think I think you're right, yeah. I think the Dawn Patrol sounds correct. There you go. A little bit of trivia. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. Yeah, they did the Shore Fest a couple of years ago, and uh, I, I went backstage for that show. I mean, it's just, you know, when you see professionals working, and I, I recognize these guys, all of them do music for a living. So they have to be involved in so many different things from teaching to producing to engineering to performing to writing. It's just constant, you know, and I really, you know, got to appreciate what, what a dedicated musician's life is all about. You know? Yeah. You know. Full contact music. <clears throat> but I think at our, at, at this year's show, I actually played with, uh, I, I, I mean, there was backing tracks that I helped put together for, one of our rappers, uh, uh, Spokes, is 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 what he goes by, Greg, Greg Levine. Okay. And, uh, and Prevail, who used to be with the Swollen Members, was it Swollen Members? Yeah, the Swollen Members. You know them? I, I no, but it makes me cringe every time I hear them. <laughs> yeah, Swollen Members. <laughs> I'll just keep saying it. Yeah. yeah. But that was that was, just for, not, that, just, was that was one of the. The most fun I've I've had in one set, I think, just playing. I'm just kind of off to the side with these two guys, and Prevail is very active on stage and runs into the audience. He's got a cordless mic, and he's and it's you know his his ability to articulate uh, and enunciate words so rapidly. I mean, he does you know that kind of rap where it's just super fast vocalizations and 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 we had eight songs that were spliced together, sections of eight songs in eight minutes. So I had to learn all the breaks and everything. Man, that that was that was kind of the icing on the cake for me. That kind of show. It just it was just so high energy, and the audience is all up on their feet. I've never done a show like that before. Wow. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Now, I also noticed I, I was watching some of the videos on the VAM site, and the Music Saves videos were really cool. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how those came about, and are, are there any plans for any more? Well, I don't, not currently. But, uh, basically, that that project uh, was the precursor to Strong Sessions, because we'd done, like, three of those Music Saves videos, and it came out of, when it was Shore FM, the radio station, and they, through the CRTC, I guess there's a requirement to, to uh, give back to community and, and support an agency and to work with them. And VAMS happened to be their choice. So through that uh, partnership, uh, that idea came up about, well, what about doing a video featuring locations in Vancouver and picking a popular cover song? And then actually doing, recording it live in these different locations and and then going back to the studio and editing it. So basically we, those three happened and then it became, well, you know, maybe that's getting not necessarily stale, but do we want to look at doing something else? And that's where the idea of the Strong Session CD came from. Mm -hmm. and, and then all that worked began and I think the I mean the documentary that spun out of that I don't know if you've seen that one uh, about the strong sessions no but that's that's on the vams.org website okay. if wants to catch a look at it uh, we're getting better at posting absolutely everything so pretty much all the music saves videos the strong sessions concert footage the documentary uh, individual performers music uh it's all up there now so yeah we'll definitely we'll definitely uh direct people to the to the videos page uh in their in our show notes because uh some of them are amazing yeah yeah there's a lot of good stuff up there so i think more to come for sure we have some ideas for next year's concert instead of having all these individual performers stop start stop start you know and 
but I think the idea is basically just to have a show with one intermission and do it more kind of rock opera-ish, if you like, a little more uh, progressive rock. So it could have a flow, and you could you could have musicians sort of on coming on and off the stage while music is still happening, and just anyway, we're working in that direction. I think we'll see what happens. Now, do you guys play at the same venue every year, or is it or is it different? No, actually, the first two years we played at the uh, the uh, Woodward's building, the the SFU. I think it's the Gold Corp, the theater down. You know that theater? On, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we moved to the Roundhouse just for you know just various issues, availability and and cost, and it's a very convenient location for a lot of people because it's on the Canada Line. It's easy to get to, and 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 actually, it's a good it's a good theater. They've got very good sound in there. It's it's easily accessible. There's no need to have ramps or anything. The stage is on the floor, so yeah. Um, well, in terms of the studio and some of the the instruments and and devices that you guys use, do you find that it's changed a lot over the years? Like, have there been more things that you've been able to adapt, or has it pretty much stayed standard for the past few years? Uh, well, the past few years, it, it's pretty much stayed the same. Uh, but we rebuilt the studio about maybe about eight years ago with Bobby Style, who's also one of our performers and artists. He's quite well known, and he writes a lot. He's sort of in the in the goth genre, and uh, but he's he's very highly technically skilled, and so. We basically rebuilt it, got some funding to do that. Before that, it was it was a a desk in the corner with an old PC, and I think we had a fairly cheap set of electronic drums and not many bells and whistles, you know, and and a pretty crappy sound system. And yeah, we basically just you know we uh, brought in some new computers, new desk. Uh, rewired everything put in a good sound system have a full-scale keyboard we have actually have two keyboards and a, uh, a good microphone like vocal mic we don't have a vocal booth this is you know a slight drawback but we will we will deal with that in the new space so we can do better uh, acoustic and vocal recordings we have octopads which i use as well as the the roland uh like actual drum kit, the electronic kit, and a variety of guitars and basses, and they said the the jam box. We have different ways for, um, it's called a, a jouse. I guess you know what a jouse is, right? Yep, yep, sure do. So we have that option for people that need to access the computer with, with sip and puff and adapted mice and that kind of thing, but. And so when you build a new studio, then are you going to be looking at, at adding some more or? Well, yeah, like I said, we're, we're going to have, since we'll, we'll have two rooms, we'll have a basically a live room and a, and then the, the booth more or less, but the booth will kind of be an office too for doing intakes and interviews and, and training and, and then have some other stations like little, call them workstations or playstations where we can have different devices like, you know, uh, a turntable, a looper, um, some adapted, maybe the jam box would be in there and something like the Artifone or any new devices we want, just want to experiment with. And, and then, you know, I think so, so you could have two rooms in use at the same time. I think that's the ideal. So in the in the live room we'd have that's an opportunity to jam and record and uh, rehearse whatever you want to do, learn an instrument. But we'll we'll probably have a full set of acoustic drums in there too, and uh, but everything will be fixed. So it's dedicated space. You don't have to set anything up when you go in, and everything will be wired. You flick a switch and and you're you're ready to go basically. Um, I mean, this is a huge advantage. We have to keep reminding ourselves that, uh, how fortunate we are to have this space to to just go in, everything set up, basically turn on the power and play. I mean, a lot of bands are, you know, 
renting space above warehouses and carrying all their gear every time for a two hour rehearsal. And so, I mean, I, you know, we've, we're, yeah. So we're, we're just fortunate to, to have this, uh, available to us and very appreciative to GF strong and Vancouver coastal health, of course, for supporting us all these years and continuing to support us by giving us more space. You know, so they see the value in this, obviously, and they get a lot of positive feedback. Do you guys have open jam nights? We used to, and actually it's something we're, we're looking at starting again probably in March, uh, and we're going to see how that – it you know, it, part of it depends on who's – not that, you know, uh, the studio is used only by inpatients, but uh, part of it is dependent on who is there at the time, you know, as people aren't active with the studio, some people are active for years and years. Some people might be for a few months, especially if they're moving back to Terrace or wherever they might be from. So it's, it's one of those things. We, we have our own musicians that are willing to be there and kind of be the, you know, the backing band, if you like. And then if whoever, we just have drop in jam sessions, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. But we know we've got a few people that are interested right now, so we want to uh, not only from like the inpatient side, but from outpatient and just the community at large. You don't have to be an active uh, patient, inpatient or outpatient at GF. You can just be a community member too. So as as like I am, you know, I mean, I, I went through rehab in 1975, so. <laughs> I'm getting freaking old here. <laughs> sort of amazes me I'm still playing sometimes. I never would have thought that. That's probably why I'm still here. Yeah, it's keeping you young. Well, yeah, I think it does. I mean, that's the, you know, anybody that I play with, disabled or not, you know, that's it's like, it's I have to do this. You know, this is the, and Sam and I used to say in the early days too, I mean, this is like what it feels like, you know, when you're a kid and you're allowed to go outside and play. You know, it's just, we just have a gas doing it. And, uh, you know, whether you're you're good or bad, I mean, there's no real judgment there. Hopefully you're playing with people of, of similar uh, interest, you know, and ability. But, yeah, I think that's why I've always, jamming's probably my favorite thing to do, when, you know, on this earth, you know, and almost, you know, because what it, what it, it's so exploratory and uh, to have this connection with people that is unspoken, but it's, but you're communicating. It's, it's quite a fascinating process and, and you, and there's, there's points in doing that, that magic happens. And uh, yeah, I plan, I was saying the other day, I think when I, when I die, I hope it's with a rim shot. (laughs) When I, when I see a set of acoustic drums, you know, I drool. I still, I, that's what I used to play. That's what I, there, there's something, there's a reason I liked that as a kid. There's, there's, there's something just very cathartic and very tangible about it. I don't know. It's just, it's just where I needed to be. So, I mean, I will go into Long and McQuaid and just linger in the, in the drum room because I just like to look at it. You know, it's kind of, I don't know call that music porn or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, spe- speaking of that, you know, I was watching some videos actually of you, of you drumming and I have to say, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by your kit. Um, has it evolved a lot over the years? I, cause I, I imagine the technology behind the electronic drum kits have, have only gotten better. Um, how has it evolved and, and how difficult was it to sort of adapt it? Well, the kit itself is not really adapted. It's really a programming. Like <clears throat> when I first started playing, they were called Pad 80s. And they're virtually the same. They're a little bit bigger. But the the devices had no internal sounds. So you had to use, basically use everything MIDI. You, you know, there's a hundred different kits that are preset in them. And you can edit each one whichever way you like. You can add instruments, delete instruments. But just for me, since I generally just use a an acoustic kit sound, but I always have the bass drum on the same pad, and I always have the snare on the same pad, 
and the hi-hat because I don't mean on the same trigger, but on, like I'll have the bass drum on the far left, the snare drum right beside it because the bass drum and snare are so close to each other and you're using them a lot. So the toms I, I don't use as much, you know, and the ride cymbals. It's, it's yeah, I, I pretty much haven't changed the configuration over all these years. Uh, you know, I think it's just the, the tones and, you know, how I, there's a lot of different editing you can do. Like say a hi-hat, if you hear a hi-hat open and close, like, like that sound. Right. Well, you can layer two instruments on each pad and then you, you, you edit it so that if you hit it harder, it will go to the next note, let's say, which be the, the open hi-hat. But you learn to sort of to know exactly where that point is, so you can get a you can quickly close it and get different effects like that. Same with the ride; if you hit it harder, you can make the bell sound instead of the the big part of the cymbal. So yeah, I, I, you know, it's there's a lot of possibilities with that, and sometimes I use you know sound effects and you know. Indian percussion sounds or African sounds or Latin kits, you know, depending on what the song calls for. Um, but basically, I mean, 95% of the time I'm using just a basic kit. So when you see me, I have one on each side of me. Uh, you know, the basic beat, I'll be using my right hand just to play the, the hi-hat. And the left hand will be doing the kick drum and the snare right. for a basic beat. But if it gets more complicated, then I'll I'll have to use the bass drum on both sides and the snare and different cymbals and kind of go back and forth. I often get asked, like, well, what, what part of that is programmed? What are you playing to? Because people think it's hard to tell what I'm doing just by looking unless you know. But... There's no, there's no loops. There's no, I'm not playing to anything. It's just, it's just what I do, right? So, but it comes out sounding more or less like a real drum kit. Right, and the, and it sounds like so the only real adaptation there is is basically your your Velcro gloves. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I I don't know. I think it's cheating if you can't drop the drumsticks. <laughs> I, you know, I'm rather proud of this, but a few weeks ago. <laughs> I broke a stick playing the octopad. I haven't done that in all year. <laughs> just that it was, I took a photo of it. I just had to. That's always my favorite part of the jam why. session. I don't know why. I mean, it seemed amazing to me that I haven't, because I hit those things hard. But but I guess on, on acoustic drums, you're often breaking them on the rim, mm -hmm. on the metal rim. So that's a feather in my cap as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I was during a jam, I might add. It was a pretty aggressive jam. And now, sorry, are you playing with the uh, in the event this weekend? Yeah, well, kind of what happened. We we played a few shows at the backstage, and uh, uh, my friend Jim, that plays the Chapman Stick, he, you know, I said, I don't know if you're interested, but you know, in the middle of winter, it's kind of hard to get people down there. So it kind of happened. So I'll be playing with him in the opening set, and then with Danny Sloan. It's, he actually calls himself uh, Digger Dan. And he calls us the Dirt Brigade. Brigade. <laughs> Bigger Dan and the Dirt Brigade. So I play with him too. And we're kind of going to have a little bit of a jam session at the end with a, a sax player. And I, I think Jeff Stanfield's going to be there too. Wonderful. So I'll be on stage all night. Yeah. Great. Well, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we mention that in the show notes as well. So anybody who wants to catch you guys can go down to the backstage and check you out. Well, it's fun. It's casual. It's cheap. And uh, food's good. You know, it's a nice place to be. And it's actually, we're going to start early at 7 o'clock. So people that have to work on Monday don't have to worry about staying out late. Cool. That's handy. Indeed. That's part of the, a lot of shows where you're playing in clubs and stuff. You don't even start till 10 or 11 o'clock. Yeah, so that's, that's a deterrent for a lot of people to get there. Yep. That's that's me. I want to be, I want to be in my pajama pants watching Netflix by 10 o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm with you. 
before we get going, though, Dave, uh, why don't you tell us how people can uh, contact VAMS if they want to donate or volunteer their time or, or be otherwise involved? Sure, yeah. No, you can absolutely you can call the main office, which is 604-688-6464. That's the office for the Disability Foundation, and which runs six societies, but VAMS is one of them. <clears throat> the other option, if you want to get involved in the studio, is to call GF Strong uh, Rehab Center at 604-734-1313 and just talk, talk to reception and ask to be forwarded to the VAMS Music Studio. Well, uh, thanks again, Dave, for, for taking time out of your day and chatting with us. It was awesome. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, I'll meet you guys in person again one of these days. We'll we'll come jam. I've I've got jingle sticks here that I'm <laughs> that I'm pretty good at playing from our uh, from our Christmas songs. So, uh, you know any good triangle players? I've been looking for. I've been thinking of expanding to the triangle. I'm sure Rob could handle the triangle. I might need, I might need a Velcro glove though. All right. Yeah. No, you can you set can me up. I've got a spare. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking Rob would make a great cowbell player. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could probably, could probably break a drumstick on a triangle. <laughs> <laughs> I come in for dinner, probably. <laughs> That's right. It's chow time. <laughs> All right, Dave. Thanks so much for, for uh, coming on. All right, guys. Thanks again. We'll talk again. Right, take care. Right, Bye-bye. Wow, that was really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, he gets to rub elbows with uh, all these cool musicians and, uh, you know, jam around town. Yeah, we should really try to get Life out to Riley, man. Life yeah, Riley. providing a service to, you know, other people with disabilities to go in and make music. Yeah. Well, and some of those musicians are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so jealous. Yeah, you can play trumpet. I can play the jingle sticks. Jingle sticks, that's, right. that's true. That's right. We still have them. I can not only play them, I can manufacture them. That's right. So. It's a whole business. Yeah. Get, a, get your AT Badger sideline. branded jingle sticks here. Oh, my God. We're on to something. Please put Apparently. those on the website. Ryan. Rob. How can people reach Steve. us? Steve. Steve. People can reach us at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Well, they can also go to www.atbanter.com. And we can be found on the Facebooks, the Twitters, um, not Pinterest, not <laughs> Pinterest, and, and, and YouTubies. Indeed. All right, everybody, thanks for listening in, and we will see you all next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A.com. Music provided by bensound.com.